0: Retreat House Podcast. We're your hosts, Angie Smith
1: and And Tonya Conchonado.
0: The Retreat House Table is a little more decorated this season. We have our Advent wreath in the middle, and this week we're lighting the candle of love.
1: So we hope that you're going to pull up a chair and join us because we're talking to Judith Haugen about
2: love.
0: So we are at the Retreat House Table, and today we are talking to Judith Haugen, Who is a professor of English and literature at the University of Northwestern. We have invited her to come and talk about love. Judith is an author and a professor. She has writing retreats. I've been to a writing retreat that she held and I just really appreciate the way that that you approach your relationship with God. So I'm just I'm so glad that you're here.
3: So welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Angie. It's great to be here.
0: Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about yourself?
3: I think you covered it pretty well.
0: (laughs) So, and Tanya is here with me as well, co-hosting.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So I invited you to come and talk about, we're in the middle of Advent, and this week we are talking about love. When I had asked you to come on, I think I gave you some choices of what you wanted to talk about, and you said... That you really, that you wanted to talk about love and, is it our belovedness?
3: Right. Am I saying yes. that right? hmm
0: That's great. So let's talk about love. All right.
3: Well, Advent is a season where we think about love and we talk about it. And because love came down at Christmas time and we want to celebrate that. But love is something that needs to be a core working reality in our everyday lives. Hmm. Uh, and it and it's an inside job. That's where it begins. And um, in my own journey with Christ and in the communities of faith that I've been in, one of the things that I've noticed through the years is we all know God loves us. We all know what the Bible says about love. But it feels like it's just an intellectual idea, a mm. notional ascent that we have to mm. this you know, abstract truth uh, of our lives. And it's not a daily working reality in terms of how we actually live, how we actually respond to things, uh, how we actually are with others and with God in the world. And in fact, I think that even in faith communities, self-hatred runs rampant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if that feels like too strong of a word, I think you could say, some level of self-loathing, just not liking ourselves, and we have all these negative messages in our heads such as, oh, I'm just a loser. Oh, I'm never going to get it right. Or, you know what, there's just something fundamentally wrong with me that I can't function the way other people seem to function. And I think that those messages come to us very early in childhood. Uh, That there's something defective about us, that we need to earn love in order to receive love, that we are not in some way lovable, Uh, that one of the things that I think God thinks about us is that we are lovable because he loves us. Mm. And thus, uh, and I agree with Brene Brown, that we are worthy of love and belonging uh, because of the work of Jesus for us. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh I think the one of the real core parts of the spiritual journey for me is moving from self-hatred to a godly self-love. And
0: you talked about that that's what your book Transformed into Fire
3: mm-hmm.
0: is about, wasn't it? Having identifying the false self, yes, and knowing and claiming true self.
3: Mhm.
0: So, would you say so in that book, you wrote that a while ago. Would, is that something that you went through or is that still, do you feel like that's an ongoing process that what you're talking about going from the self-hatred, self-loathing, false self to true self mm-hmm. and understanding God's love for you?
3: Yeah, it's, we're all a work in progress on that one. Mm-hmm. And we live in a very messy world and um, and we, we still have these messages coming toward us. We still have the temptation to agree with the world's assessment of us that we don't measure up rather than uh clinging claiming and living out our core identity as the beloved of God. So, yeah, we never arrive not till heaven.
0: Right, right.
3: <laughs> and uh and I think that we're and I think there's layers to it as well that uh the false self that we have, this self that we Orchestrate that we engineer in order to have a sense of self, in order to find our way through a very weird, capricious, messy world, um, it, it is at core a wounded self and a response to our woundedness. Uh, and very often people who are performers are very damaged in terms of their self-image, their image of self and God and they need to perform in order to sort of win the love that they so desperately want. So all of us fall into that trap from time to time and we're all kind of just day by day on that journey of moving more and more into God's love for us as the core truth of who we are and the core truth of what's what's really real about us and about the world.
0: So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what has your journey in that look like and what, what, has it, what has it been from other people who know God and know their identity in Him or from the Word of God? What, what has your journey looked like or what has it been that has helped you to identify and know and claim your true self and that you're loved and beloved?
3: Well, I think that very often we confront the false self when it stops working. It's Mm -hmm. actually hard to identify when it's working. We go, oh, I don't hate myself because we're not experiencing that. Well, very often, for instance, performance is actually a defense mechanism against self-hatred. So very often that movement from the false self and that sense of self-loathing and into the true self where I live as uh, the beloved of God is precipitated by a crisis, Hmm. And not just one necessarily, maybe there are many crises that arise, but I remember one in particular in my 20s when I was in graduate school, uh, I was living in Montana, I was having kind of a rough time handling kind of some relationship issues that were going on because I'm very relationally wired, uh, you know, the demands of my graduate studies and I just started, you know, the wheels just started falling off. Mm-hmm. And I was not all the roles that I wanted. I wasn't the great student at that point. I wasn't the great friend and the great spiritual leader that I had envisioned myself to be. And I eventually ended up in counseling because my church had a little counseling center. And it was a godsend for me. Through that, I embarked on this journey of really looking at what's true about myself. So I went into counseling. And began to see the issues that were there with my self-image. And I was able to begin the journey. It certainly didn't, uh, you know, fix it. Mm -hmm. But I was able to start on a journey of really looking at my life and to say, um, you know, if I'm a broken person, in so many ways, limited broken person, why is it not okay when I behave that way sometimes? Why isn't it okay to not be okay? And what does God think about that? What does God have to say about that? And that really began the journey for me of looking more deeply at why I needed to perform, why I had self-loathing when I knew I had a God that loved me just as I was and not as I should be. Mm -hmm. And just I think that that was a real beginning. And into my 30s, it became much more of a journey where I'm reading people. Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child, was life-changing for me. That was a sea change for me in the early 90s. I had read Ragamuffin Gospel by him, and he came and did a retreat at the church I went to at the time, and he told us Mm. his book was coming out. And I just was like waiting, waiting, waiting. The minute it came out, I ran to the bookstore to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And I read it slowly the whole summer because that's where – the language of true self false self came from for me that's where it started was with that book and then I just started reading lots of people who are on his bibliography list and I came into some understandings and I'll tell you it's it's like everything just sort of clicked it's like this makes sense Mm. and the interesting thing was is that uh, I found that in evangelical circles more conservative Christian circles this was not on the radar and I'm not sure it is now, though it's probably a little more prominent now in some ways. There's been lots of books written about it in some way. But it's really not on the radar. And for me, it gave me a paradigm to understand. Say more about
0: what it, what it is. It. The, is it the? The
3: true self, yes. Oh, the
0: false self, true self. Yep. Okay.
3: So what those books gave me was a paradigm for thinking about this false self that we all have. this wounded self, this self that is uh, really constructed for public consumption Mm. to try to be loved, to try to do it right, to try to be the good performer, to over-identify with roles, usually, like, I'm the good spouse, I'm the good friend, I'm the good mother, I'm the good good daughter. Mm -hmm. Oh, good student, for sure. Mm -hmm. In my line of work, I see that a lot. You know, I have some students where, you know, if they get a C, they start to hyperventilate, you know. And I think they have to really ask themselves, why is that happening? Why, what it, why is that reaction so big? And, and mm-hmm. usually it's because there's much more at stake than just a slight, a slight dip in your GPA. Mm-hmm. So that was inst- instrumental for me to be given a way to think about it and a way to f- organize it. Yeah, I think that it helps us to understand a little bit what the true self is. That the true self is the self God knew and thought up before I was ever born, that the true self is a received self, unlike the false self, which is a self that I sort of engineer, that I put together uh, to try to find my way through the world to find love and to find belonging and a sense of worth. Uh, but in the middle of that, the the if we have received Jesus by faith, we have the true self within us, the person that God thought up, the person that God is calling us to be, the person that God loves from the very foundations of the world, uh, it's there within us. So it isn't like we have to get to the true self or find the true self. I think we have to uh, have God reveal our true self to us, that his love and choice of us, his sacrifice for us is what constitutes our core self, not roles, not the fact that I think I'm a good person or a good worker, or a good daughter, or whatever, but the fact that God loves me, that uh, the love of God is who I am in my deepest self. And then it's a matter, I think, of learning what does it mean to live out of that identity, not just as an idea or something to keep me from falling into despair on bad days. But what does it mean to to teach like that's true, to grocery shop like that's true, to talk with my neighbor as if that's true, and to have it permeate my day more and more? And that, to me, is one of the core parts of the spiritual journey of love. And it is something that we see in Scripture. We First of all, we know that God loves us from Scripture. I mean, that theme doesn't even need
0: it's all over uh, to be debated over the place right
3: um but we also uh i do think that if you read particularly the sermon on the mount there is a lot of confrontation of pretenders of people who try to look good Mm -hmm. uh of that pharisee where uh you do things so that you look good but you know what You've received your reward in full. I mean, there is no bigger reward than that little tingle you get at feeling so powerful and special. Mm. So I see that once I had this paradigm, I could see it in a lot of places in scripture where I had never noticed it before because I wasn't aware that it was a thing. So
0: I guess I was always comparing false self and true self to identity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's probably a piece of it, but this is actually the true self, false self is what you're presenting to people. Is that right?
3: Or is it It is identity. Okay. It is what we claim as identity. Okay. So there are some, like for instance, if we're Christians, we all know the right answer. Who am I? I'm a child of God whom, you know, I'm deeply loved and... You know, I have worth because of God. But again, it's kind of doing our faith from the neck up. It mm-hmm. doesn't really necessarily go deeper in, in many, many cases.
0: So then you respond to a circumstance and you're not responding as one who is a child of God.
3: Right. So when we actually do our daily lives, we're very often trying to engineer like how people perceive us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of image management that goes on. There's, you know, trying to, trying to do it right so that we're well thought of. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to do our work well. And there's nothing wrong with r- wanting to be liked. I would prefer to be liked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> but if I'm not liked, I don't have to have my sense of self plunge to this place mm-hmm. that is, you know, potentially kind of troubling and even dark. Mm-hmm. I think it's about how deep does that praise go in. Because whoever deep praise goes in from other people, that's how deep criticism will go into. And so I think it's about saying, you know, yeah, I prefer to be liked, but if you don't like me, I'm going to be okay. Because at my core, I am on a journey of defining myself as a person loved by God.
1: I've often thought, is God enough? As in times when we are really hurt and hurting and bruised and our first response is to run off and talk to our friends and say oh this happened and have them say oh you poor thing that shouldn't happen or whatever the situation is and then I have found myself in those times pouring like crying out to the Lord and hear him say am I enough is it enough that I saw that I saw that happen, I see you, I know you, I love you, but is that enough? And and I think that's the struggle that we have because we're so used to getting our worth from what other people say, from what our friends, our friends have this amazing ability to soothe our wounds if, you know, if they can say the right word in the right season. But I was really challenged to just take it to the Lord and not tell anybody else and to just go, it's enough that the Lord knows about that hurt. Let him deal with it let his love soothe and be enough. And that's hard in this world, for his love to be enough. It is hard, because I think
3: that we, well, we need people, first of all. We were made needy. We're made to, you know, need God, to need others. But I also think a lot of us have not cultivated the kind of relationship with God or received him in such a way where that even seems like a viable idea. So I love what you just described, and I do think that we do need others, but there are times where we just need to let God's Spirit minister to us in a more direct way, which I think is a place of spiritual maturity. Some people might not be there, and that's okay. We're all on the journey. But I I do think it's helpful to know uh, when that's needed, when it's not. Henry Nowen used to talk about a ministry of presence as well Mm -hmm. as a ministry of absence, and I think that, um, yeah, sometimes we need that ministry of absence to let people be in their own journey with God in this moment or to let ourselves be in that, uh, just with God in that moment.
0: So, Ju- Judith, you were talking about spiritual maturity, and we've been talking a little bit about spiritual formation. And I've sat under you leading us, leading a group of us through Lectio Divina. Will you talk a little bit about and describe what that is and then maybe other spiritual practices that you have thinking about this idea of knowing our true self and our, getting our relationship with God right, but deep and spending time mm-hmm. with him, what that looks like?
3: Yeah, I, I, the spiritual disciplines are essential, and very often the ones that we grew up with will sometimes not necessarily be adequate to the task of seeking this deeper place of knowing and deeper intimacy with God. And Lectio Divina is uh, one way of, of encountering the Bible in a way that helps along the journey of intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. Most of us were taught to read the Bible, I think, as kind of a DIY Affair. Mm-hmm. You know, you just are, you're there, you, it's, it's a little bit lonely, actually. I have to read, I have to dig, I have to splice and dice, inductive, deductive, find the nugget, and then carry that away into my day. Now, I'm not putting down that form of Bible study. I think it has its place. But I also think that we need to read the Bible devotionally, in the full strength of that word, devotion. Where the goal is not to find an insight or a truth and then, you know, we're done and we just carry that off, but to actually encounter God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Lectio Divina that is helpful for me in that is that you're reading the passage conversationally. It's like you're having coffee with God and the scripture passage is your topic of the morning. So there's listening involved, there's silences involved that might allow God to speak, some of which we might actually hear. But you know, sometimes there's something at a much deeper level going on that we know nothing about. And it, it's a way to just put ourselves uh, before God and to to listen to him through the scripture, to listen to him in the silence. And... Uh, and it's a very different experience. It's a much more communal experience for me of encountering the scripture than from the way I was taught as a as a young person. And for me, the results are that there has arisen this deeper sense of intimacy with God, mm. that I have a sense that I am companioned throughout my day mm. uh, because I can experience that in the intentional times I have with God when I'm reading the Bible uh, and praying. Sometimes my, my prayer time is very quiet and, you know, there are very few u- words used. And uh, I think it was uh, Thomas Keating who said that silence is God's first language and everything else is a bad translation.
1: Wow. I love that. Uh,
3: so silence and solitude, if we are wanting to do that journey of intimacy, I think are indispensable hard to carve out sometimes
0: well and I think hard to uh, we were a couple of weeks ago we were talking to Nina Barnes mm. and she was talking about going on retreat and to learn that discipline of silence and solitude mm-hmm. and how she sometimes goes physically back to the same places where she does that because there's almost a body sense mm-hmm. memory of being able to enter into that kind of quiet and solitude more quickly Mm -hmm. than when she first started going. Has that been a similar experience? Was it a discipline for you to have to? Okay, because I'm an extrovert. Like silence and solitude Mm -hmm. is just, I, I know how, I know that it's important. I know, I like I know it kind of like what we're talking about, the head knowledge of it. But to really quiet me and my mind to just listen, it's so hard.
3: It is hard, because I'm I'm an extrovert as well, but I'm kind of a weak extrovert on the Myers Briggs. <laughs> um, and we all have, you know, what's you know some people call monkey mind, and mm. it is hard to calm ourselves. But you know what? We can learn that it can be learned, and I think we have to realize its value. But I also think we have to come to a place where we stop evaluating what is happening in. Our intentional time with God, in terms of a measuring stick, mm-hmm. we are it very gets prone back to the performance th- thing that you're talking about. Right on. Yes. Like we're
0: presenting our false self to God, which mm-hmm. is
3: ridiculous. We we are often very concerned with having a quote unquote spiritual product. You know the splicing and dicing where you get the big insight. That's mm-hmm. a product. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to learn to spend productless, agenda-less time mm-hmm. with God, which silence and solitude mm-hmm. gives us. And it's actually, we actually are kind of, without meaning to be, kind of arrogant about it mm-hmm. because we judge our, our devotional time based on how we feel about it. Wow. And, you know, you know, and we don't even wonder how God is responding to it or, you know, what, what does God have to say about it? And uh, and this whole incessant measuring thing. In fact, I was just talking to my students yesterday, and I was doing a devotional, and they were asking questions, and it got a little longer than maybe it should have. But I, I told them, I said, the majority of students on this campus, probably ma- the majority, are having quiet times with God, primarily to stave off guilt.
1: Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, mm-hmm. And when you do have them, you're you're measuring them which by the way sort of cuts the heart right out of the whole thing and one of the things that i say in my spiritual formation book and in transformed into fire is and it's it's a startling statement but i believe it's true which is our spiritual growth is none of our business it's none of our business it too easily can become an idol something we look toward other than god to see if we're worthy to stand before god right um and to see if we're doing okay uh and when we do that where's the focus it's on ourselves and so i have i think one of the things that's very helpful for me is that i have a what i would say is a reasonably non-judgmental <laughs> relationship with my spiritual practices which is why silence and solitude can be so effective because the performer just sits there and twitches for Mm -hmm. a while because you don't know how to measure it and you don't know if you're doing it right and all of those things. And then you realize, hopefully, that it's not about doing it right. It's about showing up. And I think that our spiritual practices, and this is a phrase I heard once from reading Thomas Merton, is that we, we just need to go and make of ourselves a gift to God. Mm-hmm. and not try to make something happen not try to come up with the best insights and lessons from what we're reading maybe it's enough just to be with mm-hmm. god and his Amen. word just to sit in a more undivided way in the presence of god and to and the way two older people a couple might sit on the p- front porch swing and they're just together, and they just don't need that many words anymore mm-hmm. because they know each other mm. in a way that is, is deep and sweet and intimate. And, uh, and I think so much of the evangelical culture sometimes gives us all of these tools and techniques, and I think sometimes they're good at the start. but I, But I believe if we want to have that deeper, intimate walk with God, Sometimes they have to be left behind for things that are maybe a little more mysterious, mm-hmm. maybe feel less, a lot less measurable, but
1: ultimately a lot more intimate. And isn't there f- freedom in that being able to express that in a way that's uniquely you to the Lord instead of putting us in boxes, because I mm-hmm. grew up in a Christian household and I'm very thankful for it but there were definitely expectations on if you were a good Christian and you had your morning and it had to be Mm -hmm. morning devotions and I'm not a morning person so guess who felt bad for most of her teenage years because I wasn't getting Mm -hmm. up in the morning and reading the Bible and you know and you would feel bad about that Mm -hmm. and that whole performance sort of thing and it's just as I get older I realize the Lord has uniquely gifted me and he doesn't want me to get up early in the morning because I'm not good for anything then. But then I love love to sing. And so I will have just these worship times with just me and the Lord, me and the guitar at night, and that is enough for me. And nobody's listening. It's just me and and the Lord. But there's freedom, and that's not for everybody. And so you don't say then that's a formula. Okay, then Mm -hmm. off you go. You must do that. That's not at all what it is. It's finding what it is that the Lord, how does he – speak to us if we can find that and then tap into that then that intimacy and that sweetness comes because it's not a job it's not a chore and there's that freedom to be who you you were created to be and how you're created to respond to the amazingness that is the lord
2: mm-hmm.
1: right i could not agree more i think that
3: spiritual practices were made for us we were not made for these spiritual practices necessarily so I do think it's about finding what works and getting rid of some of the misconceptions we have. I remember when I was a bit younger, back in the 90s, I started listening to worship music a lot more in the car. And I remember thinking that that didn't count, quote unquote, mm-hmm. as part of my devotional time of my day because it was, get this, too enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> clearly i had a little baggage going on that if it was if it felt easy and enjoyable it could not have really counted quote unquote so um so i've had to to do some house cleaning with god around some of my uh misconceptions about doing life with him what spiritual practices look like and yes ultimately what works for me and also what works in a certain season can change, mm-hmm. that there are times where, you know, I'm drawn to be with God in slightly different ways. And um, and hopefully that's a listening to the spirit, because very often we come, we have a very rigid agenda, and we just assume God's going to baptize it. And certainly God is pleased that we want to be with him. But do we really let him lead? Mm-hmm. And see, and that, again, requires quiet places and a listening heart.
0: This is all... Like, right, I have been realizing lately that I I think I'm a people pleaser, and I didn't see that about myself. And some things have brought that, some crisis or circumstances have brought that up. And then as you're talking about the performance in our relationship with God, because what I've been wrestling with him lately is kind of wrapped around his goodness. You know, when we're asking, you know, it started back when after my mom died that I prayed for him to heal her and he didn't. And then I went through a faith crisis and didn't realize I thought I walked through it and I did walk through it as well as I could. But just earlier this year I felt I was really trying to follow where the Lord was leading. And so I was, you know, Lord, I, you know, I I don't want to follow a vision, I want to follow you, you know, where are you leading? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I and he said Angie, what do you want? Will you pour your heart out to me? And I said, Lord, I did that. And my mom still died of cancer. And I was was taken aback and thought, whoa, I did not realize that that was still Mm -hmm. an issue, something I was dealing with. And I felt like this whole stone wall that I had built came tumbling down so that I would never get to a place where I had the faith crisis like I had before. And I didn't want to go forward without the wall. But I didn't know how to go forward without it. So I sat in it for a couple of weeks, but then you know, life goes on and but this idea of I mean, going to God with an agenda, wanting to perform in my relationship with him is totally (laughs) speaking to where (laughs) I am right now. I'm sitting here trying not to cry (laughs) while you guys are talking because
3: Oh, that's really sweet though.
0: Yeah, I mean so I started to question if he was good. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And yep. can I still go to him and pour my heart out to him if I'm not going to get the results that I want? Mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. I trust him with that? Mm-hmm. So that's my agenda. I mean, that's the agenda I'm going with. And that idea of me, I mean, I didn't even know that I felt like I needed to do to earn, which I know, like, mm-hmm. I know about grace. But yeah, mm-hmm. but anyway. So I hope listeners are
3: <laughs> getting as much out of this as
0: I am personally.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, all I can say is welcome to the club on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that very often when we have the realizations that you have, you know, we sometimes beat ourselves up. Ah, I'm just the worst Christian. Instead of going, wow, God, thank you for showing me this because that is invitation. Mm-hmm. That is invitation to a deeper more intimate place with God. And, you know, back to the whole having the Bible study agenda and you've got your workbook and your little pen and notebook, all of which is fine, but having the formula and the agenda. Very often, I mean that that mitigates against going deeper with God. Mm-hmm. So I think that understanding that and understanding that maybe that comes out of a place of really wanting to keep God at bay a little bit. It sounds like your experience with your mom's death might have skewed your your image of God a bit. Mm-hmm. And the really great thing, because that happens to all of us, through crises, through hurt, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you know, failed relationships, things, just things we s- hope for so deeply that didn't happen. Uh, that's part of living in a messy world. But the really great thing is that we all have a distorted image of God. Okay, that's not so great, but the the rest of it is. (laughs) But you know what? We cannot do enough spiritual or theological gymnastics to get us out of that one. Mm.
2: Mm.
3: Only God can change how we image him. And that can only happen by experiencing him, Mm. by receiving him, by making ourselves sit in the chair when in silence and solitude, even though we're twitchy Mm -hmm. uh, and just waiting until we're not. So we're all in need at different times and always of having our image of God uh, sharpened, made clearer, brought back to a place where it is more of who God truly is rather than a distortion. And the, the interesting thing is, as our image of God heals, our image of self is automatically mm. healed, and we move more into that place of the true self. The more I can see God for who he truly truly is, the more I can see myself for who I truly am, uh, which is uh, the beloved of God.
1: Mm. I, I was thinking when you were talking, Angie, of um, the little part in the story of, of uh I think it's the Line Witch in the Wardrobe when they're talking about Aslan who is the um the God, the Jesus figure. And uh the kids are asking, Is he safe? And they said, Oh no, he's not safe, but he is good. Hmm. And I just love that because he's God our God is not safe, but he is good. Because we look around and we see people who are hurting and we see grief and we see pain. And we can shake our fists and go, why? But there's stuff that we don't know on this side. But we, in that place, we have to go, even though he's not safe, he is good. And uh, Lord, help me to see the goodness um, Mm -hmm. from this place of of being really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, it's uncomfortable sometimes these paths that we have to... They're awful. I mean, there are some people who are walking some really awful paths that I know of personally that just shake me to the core that they are having to walk down that path. It is not safe. It is not comfortable. But I have to keep saying that the Lord is good. He is good. He Mm -hmm. is good. He will be good. He continues to be good. Mm -hmm. And we need help to
3: believe that from God's spirit and uh, our our experience of scripture, and from our communities. Because if we don't believe God is good uh, in any kind of deep or abiding way, then opening ourselves intimately to God does not feel like a good idea. Mm-mm. And going beyond the formulas in how we do our spiritual disciplines does not feel like something that we will be motivated to do. So our getting to that place through the help of God and others, where we can see God is truly good is indispensable. It's an indispensable part of the journey. Do do think we need to put ourselves in places where Jesus has a good shot at us, mm-hmm. per se, with well, his Well, like love. you were
0: talking about on the porch mm-hmm. with a couple.
3: Yes. Get out on the porch. Exactly. Get across the table yep. having coffee. Yep.
0: Put yourself in the in his presence and mm-hmm. in the position to receive.
3: Yep. But one of the things that I talk about in my book is that our image of God and our image of ourselves are inextricably linked together. Mm. And in as much as we are deepening in our intimacy with God, that is a journey toward healing and wholeness for us and seeing ourselves more and more for who we really are, not who the world and tells us we are, who we've decided we are, which is usually someone defective needs to earn love in order to be lovable.
0: This I, I have gotten a lot out of this conversation, Um, and this this will be kind of a thread. I ask all my guests two questions, and one of them is, "How do you retreat? Is it a is it a place? Is it a practice?" And you've already talked about some of the practices that you have for devotional, but if yeah, so say more about how because I know you retreat. Mm -hmm. So talk more about that. What that looks like, yeah, for, you. for
3: me, retreating is both. And yes, we've talked a little bit about practices of creating some places for silence and solitude. Um, you know, I create those spaces for myself sometimes, not as often as I should. You know, we go through some busy times, and and I know God is with me in that. But I also think that physically removing ourselves from the you know, the rough and tumble of our everyday lives is very, very helpful and is a definite spiritual practice. So uh, I have done retreats at a lot of various places. Right now, my go-to place is uh, the St. John's Guest House, which is on the St. John's campus in Collegeville. And when we did the
0: writing retreat, that's where we went. And it was the most amazing experience to be with those Benedictine monks. And to just be enveloped almost into their rhythm and what Mm -hmm. their day to day practice is absolutely if
3: you're gonna hang out with monks or nuns, it's good for them to be Benedictines. (laughs) Right,
2: exactly. Because
3: hospitality is their whole creed that all shall all shall be received as Christ. Mm -hmm. But I've also gone over to Saint Ben's Saint Benedict Monastery, which is the on Saint Benedict's campus, which is the sister school of Saint John's as well. Uh, so both of them have place for retreatants. But I really like the guest house right now because while I wish I could do like Pachamon Terrace and be like in a hut without plumbing and all that, <laughs> I am willing to say I'm an amenities girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I like the fact that I don't have to think about those types of issues when I'm at the guest house. And I just, you know, read and walk around and do nothing and read my Bible and pray consciously and just sort of hang out with God without an agenda. Mm -hmm. And that is just really refreshing to my soul. And there's nothing that has to happen. I mean, I think that sometimes we put pressure on ourselves like, oh, if I'm going to do this quiet time or if I'm going to go on this retreat, you know, something has to happen. And again, that's that measuring thing. Mm -hmm. And if we can just let ourselves seek out those retreat places. And as Merton said, I'm going to just make of myself a gift to God and just be with him. Just spend time and do some reading that feels like maybe, you know, I could encounter God in. But it's not about a product. Again, it's not about a product. It's like we're the project. Mm -hmm. And so often there's so much more that God is doing that is beyond a conscious level in our lives. And yet we really just want it all to be something we can see in our, you know, physical, intellectual realm. But if we can get beyond that, then we can just be and not have to have a product or justification for having gone on retreat or having taken this hour for my devotional time with God and you know it is freedom was a word I heard earlier there's so much freedom in that and then I'm free to focus on where is where am I and where is God rather than just what's happening with me Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when we're measuring again the focus is on ourselves and it actually makes us harder to make room for God So I've been to all kinds of retreat places. I do think it's helpful to have a physical place you can go away from your normal place. But even, you know, even just sitting in my big stuffed chair in the mornings with a cup of coffee, there's retreat in that as well Mm -hmm. uh, for half hour, an hour, whatever it is.
0: The other question I ask is we like to celebrate weird in my family. So if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be?
3: I think the celebrate weird thing about me is that I inherited a cat from a colleague whose husband or husband to be at that moment was uh aller- who who was allergic to cats. Okay. And um uh, and it's a it's a geriatric cat. It's a senior cat. So the cat and I got along and at first I thought I would just be fostering her for a while and maybe something else would happen and now she's like she's with me permanently. And I find that um, I sing to the cat sometimes. <laughs> I have little songs. Mm-hmm. Usually they're not, the, the music is not original, but I make up different words. Mm-hmm. And just one little story about that. I was on the phone some months ago with a repair person at a car place, and I was going to bring my car in to be looked at that same day. And I was using uh, little earbuds to talk on the phone. Now, when the call was over, I unplugged the earphones from the iPhone. And then my cat was there, and I proceeded to sing a little song to her, which, by the way, was like a show tune (laughs) with cat lyrics. And the next thing I know, I hear this guy talking, and I came to the dreaded realization (laughs) That unplugging the headset does not, mean, does not mean the call is disconnected. <laughs> and I was so shocked. I didn't know what to do, so I just hung, hung up. up. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned that I need to be careful about how I sing to my cat. And who's and he, listening. Right, yes, exactly. and who is listening to this.
0: This has been absolutely... Wonderful it doesn 't even go far enough it's I have loved every minute of this i 'm so glad that you said yes to come to the table and and talk about love and belovedness. so thank mm. you so much yeah,
3: well, I am so glad you asked, and it 's always good for my soul mm. to talk with others about these things because I need to remember what I most deeply believe about these things so it 's been great for me
0: and um all of the authors and books and uh, Judith's website and Facebook page and everything will all be in the show notes so you can find it all in the show notes so thanks again for being with us
3: thank you and so
2: this Christmas I hope you'll take the time to come on down to my side of town cause you're a friend of mine